0: Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure today. We're going to look at stewardship together. This is part of our mini-series, His House, Our Home. And uh, it's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? And we really felt, um, David and the elders really felt that it would be a good season for us to consider some of the foundational things upon which we base our faith and practice at Living Rock Church. So I hope that you've been blessed so far. And this morning we're going to talk about stewardship. We've been singing about God's faithfulness and we're now going to consider God's faithfulness in his word. So hopefully you've got your Bibles with you. We're going to look up quite a few scriptures today. I'd like to take you on a little tour of the scriptures. Let the word wash over you. Let the word build you up. And I pray this morning that Holy Spirit, you would come with this sharp two-edged sword that's living and active and powerful. And Lord, you would build us up, you'd fill us with life from your word, and you'd share afresh, a revelation of your purposes with our hearts, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the first scripture we're going to look for, um, we'll go to the first principle. So what I'm going to do this morning is, I'd like to talk about kingdom principles and kingdom principles practices kingdom principles kingdom practices we're just going to consider four kingdom principles that relate to stewardship that I think will be really helpful to us and the very first one is this infinite creator and finite world i'll explain don't worry so the first scripture is psalm 24:1 <clears throat> psalm 24:1 i'm sure this will be familiar to lots of you psalm 24:1 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or all that fills it, the world and those who dwell therein. And then if you go with me to Psalm 34. This will be another familiar psalm, I'm sure, for lots of us. Psalm 34, and we're going to look at verses 8 to 10. And David says this, "'O taste and see that the Lord is good. "'Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. "'O fear the Lord, you his saints.'" For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Amen. And then go across to Matthew 6, verse 31. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 31. And Jesus said this Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We've got three scriptures there that are showing us a principle that the Lord owns everything in this earth. He's the creator of all things. He owns everything in it, all the wealth that's in it, and all the people that are in it. So our first principle is that God owns everything, including me. Everything I have belongs to him, and that is our starting point. And the other thing that we can see is that God's people have always been um, called to live in a world that has finite resources in it. We don't have everything we want on tap. There are finite resources available. And As God's people, we are called to live in a world that has finite resources. But here's the thing as God's people, we have to look to an infinite creator who is able to provide for all of our needs. And that's the thing that we need to understand. When David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good, that you're living in a world where there is lack. But I am your provider and I am infinite. There is no lack in me. So look to me, taste and see. And so David gives us this picture of the young lions, the top of the food chain. They will see hunger, but you won't see hunger. That's the promise of God. So that's our first principle. Let's move on to the next one. Second principle. We are in, but not of. We are in, but not of. So go to John 17. I'm sure lots of you knew that's where we were going. This is Jesus' great prayer, this this wonderful prayer. Insight, we have Jesus talking to the Father, this high priestly prayer. And in verse 16, he says this, talking about his disciples. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And in verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. Then go to Philippians 4. I've told you it'd be a tour of the scriptures today. Philippians 4. As we read these scriptures, I just want you to let the word wash over you. Let the word wash over you and just permeate you. So Philippians 4 verses 11 to 13. Paul makes this amazing statement. He says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance... In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and needs. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then the last one on this principle is Matthew 6 and verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. We're just going to read through to 21. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus tells us something that's really, really important. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that the issue of money and resources and wealth are an issue of the heart. They tell us something about where our heart is at. It tests our heart. It's an important issue. And that's why we talk about it. That's why we teach about it. Because it affects all of our lives. Our money and what we earn represents the very hours of our life that it takes us to earn that money, doesn't it? So it represents something significant about us. And it gives us an opportunity to trust God when there is a lack in front of us. And to look to him as David encouraged us. But also to have faith, not just in times of lack, but in times of plenty, for a multiplication of what God has given us. And we'll come to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. For a multiplication of the harvest. Here's the alternative. We either look to God in those times, or we look to other things. And Jesus says later on in this passage, you can't serve God and money, resources, and wealth. One of them is going to be your provider, and you have to choose which. And he he put that choice to us. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. The next one. We are sowers by nature. So is by nature. 2 Corinthians 5. This is a whistle-stop tour, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I hope this is one that you have committed to memory. Because this is a life-changing statement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Are you in Christ? He is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 to 11. We're in Christ and we have, as we are a new creation, we have a new nature. And part of that nature is that we are sowers. We are sowers. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 to 11. The Apostle Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Through which, sorry, through which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And then the last one is Matthew 6 again. giving your Bibles a real workout this morning. I hope you're grateful. Good workout session. 6, verse 22. Jesus says this. This is a continuation of the passage we just read. So he said, where your, where your treasure is there, your heart will be In awesome. verse 21. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, Sorry, if then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is the darkness? And he's talking there about an idiom, a turn of phrase at the time, a good eye meant to be generous. Someone that has a good eye was someone that was generous. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we are new creatures we are new creations when we came into the kingdom of God and we're given a new nature and that nature is the same as God it reflects God's own nature and God himself is a sower when we look all the way back at the beginning of creation and God creates things we see that he creates lots of things in seed form he creates the seed which has everything in it to grow and to be something that multiplies beyond itself and that's a principle that God embeds in his creation, is that everything he makes, Eden was a seed. It was in seed form and it was there to multiply and to fill the whole earth because it's in God's very nature to create things that themselves reproduce and multiply. It comes from who he is. So that now means that's who we are. Whether we know it or not, when we came into the kingdom of God and God put a new heart in us, a heart of uh, a flesh, not of stone, God gave us a new nature, and part of this nature is to be sowers, is part of who we are. So Paul says to the Corinthian church that he will give seed to the sower and bread for food. In other words, I will provide not just what you need to eat, but I'm going to put seed in your hand for you to sow, because I am a sower, and you are a sower, and I want you to have enough to be able to sow on all occasions. And let me just be clear. We're not just talking about money here. We're not just talking about hard cash. We're talking about everything of who we are. Sowing ourselves. Sometimes that means putting your hand in your pocket. Sometimes it means giving yourself physically to help somebody with something. Sometimes it means praying for someone. can mean so many things. But sowing of ourselves and seeing a multiplication from the seed that we sow all around us. And in that way, we're like him. The purpose of sowing is not for you to get back what you put in. The purpose of sowing seed in the ground is that the seed is multiplied into something bigger. And that's all part of being sowers by nature. Okay, last one. First in the natural. And this hopefully will explain a little bit of why money and the issue of stewardship of all that God has given us, our talents, money and everything else is important. 1 Corinthians 15:46 1 Corinthians 15:46 Thank you. Paul says this, "But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual." It's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. We'll come back to that. You go back to Luke 16. Verse 10. No, nope, that's not the one. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I'm in John's Gospel. I don't know why. It is my favourite. There you go. He says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And NLT has a great rendering of both those words. It says, Worldly wealth if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, you won't be trusted with the true riches of heaven. Right. And the principle we have here is that, <clears throat> for me, first in the natural and then in the spiritual, is about how we experience the things of God. In this, the, um, chapter 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's actually talking about our physical resurrection. He's talking about when our physical bodies become um, the, the, the mortal is clothed with the imperishable and our spiritual bodies come to us in fullness. But what it means is is that lots of things that God wants to teach us, he teaches us through the natural things of this world because they're the things that we encounter first. And God says, all the things I've put around you in creation and in your life, I've put them there so that I can show you something of, of spiritual things. I can teach you lessons and it's a really good way for you to learn those things. And the whole issue of resources and money is a really good way for us to understand something about being entrusted with the sp- true spiritual riches of God's kingdom. If we're found faithful in the natural things, God is saying, I can entrust you with the spiritual things. And that's why it's really important. It's not the money that's important, it's what it leads to, it's what it's teaching you, it's the greater thing that has the significance don't get caught up in the physical thing look to the spiritual thing and see what i'm trying to show you because if you can get that you'll understand who i am and who i've made you to be and you'll live the life i want you to live these are principles of god's kingdom that will help us understand who we are but help us understand how we can live and steward all that god has given us now we've got a question if you can put that up on the screen We're going to take five minutes, and if you you could just group with the people around you, maybe about four or five people. Some of you might need to move. That would be really helpful if you could do that. We'll take five minutes to consider this question. Which of these kingdom principles do you feel you've embraced in your life, and which may have been the biggest challenge to you? And here's the kicker, and why. All in five minutes. Please use bullet points. It would be helpful for the other people you're sitting with. Okay, go. I I don't know what you found in your groups. I just sat in a group, and and the the overwhelming thing is that all this is great in theory until it happens in practice. (laughs) And and then you really see what what you feel, what you believe, what you think. Um, And that's the important thing, really, isn't it? Um, And that's why God allows us to go through, and and did Paul, as we read, times of lack and and times of of blessing. So that there are times of testing for us, so we can really know what's in our hearts, because when God tests us, that's what it's about. That's why God tests us, by the way, to show us what's in our hearts. Um, And then in times of plenty, actually just still relying on him as well even in those times of plenty and not um, coasting not forgetting that he's still our provider and um, someone said it's hard sometimes to be on the receiving end when you're the person receiving the gift when you're in the time of lack that is hard but it's important because that allows someone else in God's kingdom to be the sower and to be the blesser and that's why I believe God allows us to go through times of both Because what this is about is all of us growing and all of us understanding what it is to be a sower and to trust him and to rely on him in good times and in bad. So what I want to talk about now is kingdom practices. Just talk about some practical outworking of those principles. And there are two, in the time constraints we have, there are two main uh, ways um, I want to talk about this morning. And that is in our tithing and in our offering, which is what we teach uh, in this church, That's good. the first one I'd like to talk about is tithing. And you'll see up there, I've put the word first fruits. And I'll explain why. Because tithing is bringing God the first fruits. That's what it means. Of our time, of our lives, of our income, of everything that we have is giving God the first fruits. And it really does give us an opportunity to worship Him and to love Him. In that it is not a mechanical, methodical act, it is an act of worship and devotion. So let's get into the word Genesis 4. Genesis 4. Now, this is the story of Cain and Abel, and if you remember this story, <clears throat> they were two very different sons. And uh, in verse 3 of chapter 4, it says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions, which is the best bit. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face... Then we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 31. It's after the book of Kings, Samuel, then Kings, and Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 31 and verse 4. It says, And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites... That they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So they brought the first fruits in, and it's described as the tithe of everything let just go back to Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. <clears throat> this is talking about tithes. And it says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain of your wine and of your oil and of the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. We'll go all the way to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi. Into a situation where the people of God had stopped tithing and God is dealing with this and bringing them back on where they need to be. And he gives them this instruction. He says in verse 10, "'Bring the full tithe into the storehouse "'that there may be food in my house, "'and thereby put me to the test,' says the Lord God of hosts, "'if I will not open the windows of heaven for you "'and pour down for you a blessing "'until there is no more need. "'I will rebuke the devourer for you "'so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil.'" And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And the last one is Numbers 18. I'm not deliberately sending you back and forth, by the way, like this. I just felt this was the right order. Numbers 18, 21. Numbers 18, 21. It says this. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. So they didn't have land in the apportionment of the promised land. They didn't have land. I've given them the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for the service that they do. Their service in the tent of meeting. And tithing and bringing the first fruits is really an outworking of those principles. And it is about loving God. It is about worshipping It's about saying God comes first in my life. All of me belongs to him and therefore I bring this first fruits as Abel did and it wasn't just Abel, it was Abraham and it was Jacob and all of that line of faith enshrined in the law but continued after that and continues to this day. The tithe, as we saw in 2 Chronicles, is the first fruits. It's bringing the first fruits. But God defines what the tithe is. It's 10%. It's a fixed amount. It's not a variable amount. It's a fixed amount. A tithe is 10%. That means 10% of everything that comes into our household. Sometimes people say to me, "Do you tithe after the government's taken their tax? Do you tithe after the the local council's taken their tax?" No. Whatever comes into our household, we take 10% of that and we give it to God as soon as I can. Because that I need to bring to God like Abel did and say, Lord, this is for you. Because I'm putting you first in my life. And we're told in Deuteronomy that to do that teaches us a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is something that we have to grow in for our entire lives. I am learning about the fear of the Lord. I'm continuing to learn as I grow in him what it means to fear the Lord. Not to be fearful of him, but to fear the Lord. And that means to put him first, to understand that he must come first in all things. That it will go better for me if he comes first in all things. Because he's made me to be dependent upon him. He's made me to draw from him. And that means putting him first in all things. And what God says is, it starts here. And that's what the tithe is about. It teaches us how to worship God. It teaches us a fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord will keep us so that our compass is pointing in the right direction. And we can rely on it in every decision we make. When we have the fear of the Lord in our hearts, it will keep us with a compass pointing north. We won't get lost or distracted. And then in Malachi, we saw that God says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. That was the local place where they would bring in the grain. It was the place where everybody was fed from. And the tithe was used for the Levites. It was used, in other words, for the ministry in God's house. And that principle stays the same for us, is that the tithe is to enable there to be ministry in the house of God, for the people of God to be looked after and to be ministered to. It's also used, as it was in the Old Testament, to be for the poor and for the needy as well. And that we use the tithe for that, to help out those who are in need and to bless them in times of need. When Paul writes to the New Testament churches, at one point he has to say to them, look, <clears throat> because I preach the gospel and because I give myself to it full time, I have a right to live from the gospel. In other words, I have the right of, to live from the tithe. And that's the principle that God has in his house to ensure that those who minister can focus on the people of God. And Paul himself had times when he was living from the tithe and supported by the churches he looked after. And there were times when he worked. And amongst the eldership we have men who are giving themselves to full time. And we have men who are giving themselves to them part of the time and also working. And we have a mixture of that. And we have someone like me who is a bit of both. There you go. I just couldn't make my mind up. What can I say? That's not true. So that's part of our practices: is the first fruits and loving God. The second bit is, um, if just move on to the next slide. Yep. Uh, In in terms of our practice, is the offerings that we bring. Now this is about sowing again, and it's about really loving others. The so tithe is about loving God and putting him first. This is now about loving others in the house, loving others in the body. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 9. One of the wonderful things about the letters that the Holy Spirit has preserved for us is that in this correspondence, we see real people facing real situations and we see how the people of God dealt with it. 2 Corinthians 9. This whole section is taken up with the collection that was being raised amongst the churches for the needy Christians who were in Jerusalem. And Paul is using this opportunity to teach them something. In verse nine, sorry, chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God and then if you go down to verse 6 he says this the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully Paul is just saying this you can't get away from the fact that if you don't put much seed in the ground you're going to get a smaller harvest (laughs) you can't put a little bit of seed in the ground and think I hope this whole field is full by the end of harvest season no farmer does that because they won't be in business for very long. And Paul is teaching us that the place of offering is where we can be generous. And we need to be those who are generous. So just go across to Luke 21, 1 to 4. It's all part of our nature as sowers. Luke 21 and 1 to 4. This is a story you'll remember well, hopefully. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Now, Can I just, at that point, we don't sit here and watch people put their tithes and offerings in. We've never done it, we never will. But Jesus did, because everything belongs to him. It's God's money. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Not just the next person, all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Now the Lord isn't just telling us to put everything you've got into the offering basket, just to be clear. He's trying to teach us a principle here. A principle of proportionality. It's not how much we bring. It's not the person who brings the biggest offering. It's about in proportion to what we have. For her, that was a generous offering. Something to sow that was generous. And that's the important bit. Um, So 2 Corinthians 8... I'm dragging you back now to the same spot. I'm not doing this on purpose, I promise. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 20 to 21. And Paul says this, again, talking about um, this whole process of taking up the collection and and, and the, the way it was being done, the way God's money was being handled. And he says this, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. They were administering the gift that had been raised. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And then our last scripture for today, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7. And here Paul is talking about the qualifications to be an overseer in God's house. And one of these qualifications is, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders is the purpose so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. In other words, so that he wouldn't bring the the name of Christ into disrepute. There must be. Uh, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So, for this practice of bringing our offerings, the first thing to say is this: the tithe is a defined amount. What we give as an offering is not a defined amount; it's variable. We have discretion in how much we choose to give as an offering. And I can speak for Ellie and myself. There have been times when we've given that much, and times when we've given that much, and times when we've given that much, and that varies. We listen to what the Holy Spirit tells us to do in every given situation. We want to be generous on all occasions. There are times when we've had more in the pot to be generous with, and we've done that. And we've seen a harvest come as a result of it. It's the principle of sowing and reaping being outworked in our lives. As we said, there's an important principle of proportionality here. It's not the biggest offering that matters. It's not the biggest tithe that matters. What matters is that for each of us, from what we have, we give. And we're doing so to be generous with the resources that God has given us. Don't ever, ever compare yourself to other people in the body of Christ and what they may or may not be giving. Don't be interested in what other people are giving. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you what to do. Because we have to give an account for ourselves, not the person next to us. Practically, what is that money used for? Well, the tithe, as I said, is used for ministry in the house. It's essentially used for people. And the offering is used for operations. It's used for expenses of running facilities. So, for example, the building that we're in right now, the offerings that come into the church are used to run the building, for the expenses of having the lights on and the heating on, and the drinks that we have after the meeting and when we have an outreach and we hire a room or we put refreshments on or whatever we do like that we use the offering to do that and one of the principles that we run in keeping those money separate is that it's really important that there is ministry in God's house and that all of this never takes away from the tithe and from the ministry of the house because facilities and buildings and things are not important. But people are, and the church is the people and not the building. So we need to keep the lights on, but not at the expense of ministry in the house of God. So we keep those two things separate, and that's how we administer things. But there also needs to be, as we read, accountability and integrity in everything that we do. So the elders in the house are ones who direct the affairs of the church, which is scriptural. We administer where the funds are spent, and we also have a body of trustees, So I'm one of those trustees, but we have three other trustees. We have Kate Bowden, we have Richard Knapp, and we have Sadie Batston. Two of those people are here. I would just like to commend them for everything that they do. They bring expertise in the legal and administrative side of what happens behind the scenes. And they also help us in the financial decision-making as well. They bring their expertise into that. And all of it creates accountability and integrity because... This is God's money. And because we fear the Lord, we daren't spend it on something that we mustn't spend it on. So we come to him and say, Lord, where do we need to deploy these resources so that there will be a harvest for the kingdom of God? And that needs to be our heart attitude. Not only as elders, but it needs to be our heart attitude as householders, for each of us. If you represent a household here, that's how you need to be with your finances. Lord, I'm here to steward this. Where do I need to sow it? How much do I need to sow? Here's the tithe, Lord. I'm going to put you first. Even when times are tough. We teach these things because we walk these things. And I have known, like the Apostle Paul, times of very little and times of plenty. And I have tithed and brought my offerings in times of little and times of plenty. And my faith has grown in all those occasions. I wish I had time to say more, because there's lots more to say. (laughs) But I have one more question which I'd like us to consider, please. So, question up on the... There we go. Five minutes on this. Can you describe some of the practical ways you have seen God move in your life and others because of tithing and offering? Now, I appreciate not everyone in this room may be a tither. It's not to make anyone feel bad or anything else. So don't feel you need to tell people what you're doing but there are people in this room that can share what God has taught them in those times and I want you to be able to do that. So we're in groups just for five minutes and then we'll wrap up. And uh, it may be that you've grown up in in an environment where it wasn't um, easy to talk about those things. Um, I think it should be easy to talk about. It. It's not crude or anything else. Just to finish with, I've got ten things I'm going to tell you. It's just a list, that's all it is. Which is my ten MythBusters. Okay, now I've not been exhaustive this morning. There's lots more to say and I want to give the opportunity for anyone to come and talk to me afterwards. I understand sometimes people want to talk in private and that's fine. Any occasion, if you want to talk about these issues or anything that may come up, Please come and talk to me, come and talk to Rich, any of the elders that are here. We're happy to talk to you. We won't judge you, we will help you. Because God wants you to know his grace in these things. Not by compulsion, but by faith and by grace. Okay, these are my ten myths that I'd like to bust. Okay, and if anyone wants to come back and ask me about them afterwards, that's fine. I can talk about them all day. Number one, God needs my money. No, he doesn't. He owns everything. He already owns your money. Number two, it's crude to talk about money in God's house. If so, Jesus was very crude, so I'll join him in being a bit crude. Number three, what I do with my money has no bearing on my relationship with God. I think we've kicked that one into touch this morning. Number four, everyone in the church should be rich. No, no. Everyone in the church shouldn't necessarily be rich. There will always be variations in God's house because that's not what's important. What's important is the opportunity to give to others and to receive from others. That's what God wants to do amongst us. It's not the cash that counts. It's what goes on on the inside. It's our spiritual growth that God is concerned with. And therefore, referring you back to number three, it doesn't matter what I do with my money. Number five, everyone in the church should be poor. That's what I grew up with. Poor keeps you keen. Poor keeps you depending on God. Well, no, it doesn't always, actually. Number six, everyone in the church should have the same amount of money. No. Number seven, being rich always means you have God's approval in your life. Now, how many of us have looked at other people and seen what they have and said, oh, well, well, they're in the blessing of God, aren't they? No, not necessarily. And when we look at other people, we can make assumptions from the clothes that they wear, the car that they drive, the house they live in, but we don't know what debts they have. We don't know where their money's come from. So best not to do it in the first place. Because it just gives the enemy an opportunity to sow seeds of jealousy in our hearts and to separate us one from another. Just look to the Lord. Here's another one. Financial need is always a sign of God's disapproval. No, it isn't. Number nine, the tithe belongs to me, brackets, and I can send it where I like. The tithe is God's, and the tithe needs to come into the local storehouse. The offering, we can sow wherever we like. Now, I've told you that the offering, some of what the offering is used for, so I feel, as a member of this church, I need to bring at least a good portion of my offering into this house Otherwise, I shouldn't be here eating biscuits, drinking drink and enjoying the warmth of this building and not contributing to it in any way, even if it's a penny. But something, I'm speaking for myself. And the tithe comes into the local storehouse. It's not for whatever ministry I feel I need to give to wherever it is in the world. That's not what the tithe is for. That is what part of our offering is for. If you want to do that, do that with part of your offering. Number 10, my tithe and offerings earn me a right to say how the church is organised. That's my (laughs) favourite. Because if that were the case, the bigger the tithe, the more say you would have. To take that view is to think of our tithes and offerings like we're paying taxes to the government and we therefore are owed a say in what happens, like it's a democracy. It's not, it's God's house. The mechanism for the use of the tithe is accountability and integrity in how it's administered, as Paul said, and that is really important. But what it isn't is people saying, well, I brought my tithe and I think you should spend it on this or you should spend it on that. Because then it isn't really your tithe, it's your money that you're hoping to create some influence with. When I say you, I mean whoever. So I'll say that last one again. My tithe and offerings earn me a right to say how the church is organised. No, they don't. God decides through the Holy Spirit how the church is organised, and we listen to Him. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.